Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Mic, episode number three. I am your host, Taylor Medic. Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic is the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for clicking onto this wherever you find your podcast. And it's time for another conversation about sports media and broadcasting. And I love our guest today. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. It's going to be with a gentleman I had the privilege of working with for many years at Team 1260 Radio in Edmonton, known now as TSN 1260 Radio, Guy Flaming. He's the host of The Pipeline Show, the podcast now uh, available wherever you find your podcasts and at thepipelineshow.com. It is a hockey-based show all about uh, prospects for the upcoming draft, junior hockey, college, minor pro. Basically, anyone who's on the cusp of making the NHL and professional hockey, Guy talks to him. he follows them, he covers them, all those fine things. He does a tremendous job, and he's had quite the journey um, through his 16 years in radio and as well now uh, doing uh, podcasting and media and sports broadcasting. I had uh, the privilege uh, to work with Guy, as I said, for many years. Um, he was uh, awesome, uh, great host, and uh, an even better friend. And it was really great to uh, to catch up uh, with him in this uh, in this conversation that you'll hear. So back in uh, 2008, when I first started in broadcasting, my first job at uh, Team 1260 Radio in Edmonton, Canada. I was uh, paired up with uh, Guy Flaming and Dean Millard as the technical producer on the Pipeline Show, which was on the air Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. And I knew about the show. Uh, I was actually basically really excited the fact that that was the first show I got to work on because I did know a lot about it. I followed junior hockey close as well as college hockey uh, as well. So it was uh, an automatic fit right away it seemed and uh, and it made uh, my job a little easier um just going into uh, a position that obviously not a lot of training got in you know my again if you've listened to the show um i was able to uh, get into radio without uh, going to school first getting a, a small job part-time job was fantastic and getting the opportunity to work on the pipeline show was uh, was a thrill for me. Definitely, uh, you could have asked for uh, a, a better group to uh, get hooked up with uh, getting hired on at the radio station right away. So we had a lot of fun over the years and a lot of memories uh, shared in this uh, this episode. And, and Guy's a guy who, uh, you know, not many maybe people know, never went to broadcasting school, uh, got involved uh, just covering the draft, um, and doing uh, doing interviews for uh, a publication, and then eventually getting into uh, radio in Edmonton, Alberta, um, and covering the draft is uh, the NHL entry draft is his forte. Uh, that's a that's a big thing for him, and uh, we talk everything about his journey through uh, the world of uh, sports broadcasting so far, working in radio, doing sales uh, because he's a guy that uh, had to sell his show he bought the airtime then sold uh, sold the advertisement for it so you'll hear uh, uh, some 
thoughts on that. Uh, he has experience as a color commentator for the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League, as well as some other experience in and around uh, the province of Alberta. So let's get right into it. Behind the Mic, Episode 3 with Guy Flaming of the Pipeline Show. Enjoy this conversation. Well, I'm pleased now to be joined by a fellow former co-worker of mine here on Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. I'm joined by Guy Flaming, the host of the Pipeline Show, one of the longest-running hockey shows pertaining to hockey prospects and junior and college and minor pro and uh, Guy's been going 16 years strong with the Pipeline Show, and I've been uh, I've had the pleasure to work with him for a few of those years at uh, Team 1260 and TSN 1260 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Guy Flaming, welcome to Behind the Mic. How are you doing? I'm awesome, man. Taylor, it's great to hear from you. It's great to catch up. Likewise. Well, this is going to be fun, uh, you know, to talk about uh, your career specifically because, uh, you know, you, you weren't uh, maybe the conventional guy getting into uh, broadcasting in terms of going into school and getting a, a degree, radio, TV, and venturing into uh, into sports. Let's talk about how you kind of evolved from being the prospect guy and, and really getting into that. And then ultimately, um, it wasn't radio that you got right into in terms of sports media, but it was, it was writing and publication. Um, how did it all start for Guy Flaming venturing into the world of uh, media as well as uh, hockey coverage uh, pertaining to prospects? Well, you're 100% right, Taylor. It's not the conventional route at all, although it might be more, uh, it might happen more today than it did 20 years ago when I did first first start doing it because uh, take me back 20 years ago, I was doing, I was in a completely different field, non-media related at all. And on the side, I had an interest in doing some stuff. And that's when blogs were just starting and uh, and online websites. And the, the one that I started writing for was called Hockey's Future. And because I was in Edmonton, uh, I became the, the Oilers guy. And with that website, it just started getting my juices going with, with uh, sort of the journalistic side of things. And... I, I never went to J school. I never went to broadcasting school or anything like that. So it was really a, a learn as you go sort of thing. Uh, but as I started doing it, I started to take it more seriously. And then I would contact the team and I would ask for player interviews. And they were gracious enough. After a while, there was a, you know, a period where they were uh, not so well welcoming to to bloggers and and things like that. Podcasts weren't well. Podcasts didn't exist back mm-hmm. then, but. If you didn't work for one of the main media outlets, uh, they they weren't exactly forthcoming uh, at first. You really had to buy your, uh, you know, show them that you were dedicated and that you were trustworthy. Uh, but once that door opened, it was great. I was able to get player interviews, and my coverage of the Oilers and their prospects uh, for hockey's future, I think, was was a big part of that website at the time. That website lasted for about another three or four years. Uh, but at that point, I had started doing radio hits on many of the outlets and many of the shows that were uh, around Edmonton at the time. John Short, Jason Greger's show, uh, Bob Stoffer had me on every week. Uh, and there was one season where I actually started doing post games with John Short. What a thrill that was. After every Oiler game, I would walk across the street from the Oiler, from Rexall Place to the racetrack where he was doing his shows from. 
and I do post game shows with them uh, for an entire season. And that's after a while, I started thinking, well, if if what I'm doing with uh, covering the the prospects is popular enough, if there's enough interest in it that all these hosts are having me come on their show, I don't know, I just get my own show. Uh, so that's kind of where the evolution or where the idea at least generated from. Well, for those who don't know, John Short, uh, one of uh, the most notable uh, writers, uh, newspaper writers, sports writers in Edmonton, Alberta over the years, as well as radio host. Uh, what was it like working hand with hand, hand in hand with him, uh, a legend uh, in uh, in the local scene uh, here in Edmonton? I, I used to go to sleep uh, at night when I was uh, younger, when I was 10, 15, you know, 18 years old, with my Sony Walkman headphones on listening to his radio show. I'd go from 9 to midnight, uh, and I'd fall asleep listening to John Short. So having the opportunity to, the opportunity to actually work with him, uh, it was amazing. It's, it's like working with Superman. He's, he's your hero. And he was so kind too and and generous and just he wanted to help and uh, always encouraging he he was great man it was it was such a treat i probably didn't value it as much at the time as even now i look back and i think man you can't you can't understand how valuable that was uh and uh yeah it was it was a thrill for sure loved it so at the time, Team 1260, you're thinking, okay, maybe why don't I get my own show? Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the birth of the Pipeline show. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the name. Why the name? Well, that that's interesting. I'm glad you asked that, actually, because uh, a lot of people figure it's uh, obviously Euler-related, and kind of it was, because the, the original concept behind the program, the show was that it was going to be an oiler prospect show. And so oil, obviously, pipeline fits that way. Um, But when we talk about the pipeline with with prospects, we're talking about the pipeline from junior or college to the NHL. So it kind of had a double meaning that fit, uh, especially when you're talking about oiler prospects. So uh, that's where it came from. And I always wondered if, uh, you know, if that was going to be an issue with the oilers themselves, because... Um, I think they had a newsletter or something that was called the pipeline. Um, but, uh, I, I checked it out and, uh, apparently it was okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I ran with it and I, and, uh, but then it was, that was just the start. Yes, I had a name, but, uh, I certainly did not have a show at that point. And, you know, radio at the time was a lot of, especially at, at that station, it was uh, given to the host to, um, to sell the show, it was up to them. They buy the airtime, they sell the show. Um, yeah. What was that originally? Was it like that for you? Did uh, it would have been Bryn at the time, Bryn Griffiths, uh, program director? Did he say you buy the time, you sell it, it's yours? Yeah, that was that was the agreement. But even that was the the first step was, are are they interested? Would they have my show? Like, is there a, any interest in having a show that's only about prospects? As you and I both know, Edmonton is very much an Oilers town. It's Oilers, Oilers, everything is Oilers, everything else is way down the the list of priorities. Uh, So is there an interest in having a a prospect show, uh, even though it's an Oilers prospect show? Well, I went and I met with Bryn Griffiths, who you mentioned, and uh, 
I uh, shared with him the thoughts of my show. Said, love it. Great concept. Love it. Who's going to host it? And, of course, <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I had every intention of being the host. But, uh, and, but he said, you have zero experience, no background at all in radio or television or anything. Like, I can't give you a show. And looking back on it now, how naive I was, you know, obviously, from his perspective, the total risk. Why would you put this <laughs> virtual nobody on the air? Um, so I had to take a step back and then I had to uh, figure out another way. And so it became, all right, I got to get somebody else who can basically drive the show and, and I'll be the second guy. Uh, and then, well, you know where things went from there. Yeah, exactly. That's going to bring into uh, the conversation our good friend uh, Dean Millard. So uh, Dean, uh, known around Edmonton at the time on uh, on Global and uh, as well as in the in the community too. Uh, how did you meet and how did you two meet? Uh, we met at Euler Games because he was covering the Oilers for Global Television at the time, uh, and I didn't I hardly knew him. Um, but knew him enough to just have casual conversations with him. But I didn't know him any better than any of the other media people that were around. Um, but, you know, I knew that he was in Red Deer previous to Edmonton covering the Rebels. And before that, he was in Regina and he grew up in Brandon, happens to be three WHL communities. So when I was making my list of, uh, of, of candidates to be the host of the Pipeline show, his was the first name on my list. And quite honestly, it was a list of one name. Um, so if, you know, if he had said no, then I don't know where I would have gone from there. But uh, I, I approached him one day, probably at an Oilers game or practice and, and floated the eye to him. And he loved it. So uh, I, it was good because he was interested, obviously had the background and the experience. And then when I went back to Brandon and, and pitched him again, he said, deal. So uh, we were off and running. And there you go, yeah. What uh, it's pretty seems pretty easy how it all came together, <laughs> but I'm cer- certain you had, uh, yeah, definitely wondering, oh, okay, if this option doesn't work, where do I go from there? But it worked out. Um, so it's you and Dean on the Pipeline Show Tuesday nights. That was the f- that was always the night, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember if we started. It might have been a Monday actually, but uh, we started in February of 2006, and I want to say it was Monday because it was after Monday Night Football was done. Um, so we were two, We were Mondays until the start of the second season uh, because we took that summer off. And when we came back in September, uh, we couldn't have Mondays. So I think we moved to Tuesdays at the start of season two. Talk about just that first year or even that or first season uh, and even uh, you know going from that first show to the <laughs> end of that uh, first season. What was that like? Uh, it was... It was, you know, it's so funny to think back now of, of where the show began to what it is now. The first season was basically, it was the plan, it was only an hour long episode. And the original plan was to have uh, largely Euler prospects, basically an Euler prospect show. Although I look back now at some of those first ones and there were other players that we had on. I remember we had Carey Price on one year while he was still with the Tri-City Americans and he actually took questions from callers live on the air. I cannot believe that we were able to get him to, to okay that. Um, and some of the questions we got from callers were just stupid. But he sat there and, and took calls. 
um, which is amazing. I remember, our, I think I'm pretty sure our first guest of the first show was Kyle Chaptura, who was playing for the Prince Albert Raiders. I don't remember if he had been drafted yet or not. And he was at no show. And we were like, this is a, a bad omen that our first guest is a, a no show. Uh, so we actually never had uh, Chiptura on the show, but that's how it all began. Uh, and then we, uh, I think that might have been why we started thinking, well, maybe we just go with the Euler prospects because I'd had a relationship with a lot of them already and the team. So it was it was fairly simple to get them booked on the show. Um, so then it, it, it became, all right, we're going to focus on one guy. Let's take, I remember we had Andrew Cogliano. So we wanted to get the player. We wanted somebody from the organization to talk about him and maybe a media guy that had covered him at some point. Or maybe it was a coach or something like that. So I remember when the show we had Cogliano, we had him. We had the scout from Ontario, uh, Brad Davis with the Oilers, who had scouted him a lot uh, as uh, when he was with the St. Mike's Buzzers and at Michigan. And then we had, uh, I think we had Bob McKenzie on, actually, because his son played with Andrew Cogliano. Um, so we had those three, and that was a full hour. We beat that horse to death. Uh, can you imagine talking about one player for an hour? <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of dads would be okay with that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, <laughs> that could be that. You know, that I'm sure was quite the challenge. So when did it? When did it, things evolve to? Um, I mean, it seems like right away you, you you said you had the idea. Well, maybe it just doesn't have to be all Oilers prospects. Yeah. Um, when did that sway that idea sway to to really uh, mix it up and make it uh, a smorgasbord of of not only uh, prospects from other organizations, but uh, diving into uh, other leagues and levels uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was it, during we we took the summer months off. I think we stopped probably right after the draft or something like that and took half of July and August off. And, uh, and we, I think we thought about it and we we're like, you know, we can't go back and have another year of just talking about Euler prospects again. Cause we just had all these guys on the show. What are we going to talk about them for another hour? So uh, then it became what, how can we change things up? And, you know, I, I, the Oilers were not my team growing up. I didn't, I didn't cheer for the Oilers and, and Dino was a Winnipeg Jets guy. So he did, he had no real, super allegiance to the uh, to the Oilers organization we knew that the immediate market was all about the Oilers but we wanted to we didn't want to just be the same as what everybody else was doing everybody in town was talking Oilers so we turned it into junior and college hockey we started talking about the Western Hockey League but also the OHL and the, and the Quebec Major Junior League and uh, obviously the Alberta Junior Hockey League but we would talk to players from the BCHL, and then, of course, we got into into college hockey. And some of the other prospects that we had on, it was it was double serving. We would get a guy like I don't know Tom Gilbert, who was at Wisconsin, so we could cross off the Oiler, you know, check that box. It's an Oiler guy, but also it's a college hockey segment. So, um, so we wanted to really expand our focus a little bit more, and that opened up a lot more doors uh, of uh, what was content for our show. And at the same time, it made our show very unique. Nobody else was doing this in 2006. Um, so our, our show really became, if you wanted to listen to a show that was only about junior hockey or college hockey, whether you're in Boston or in Toronto or in Edmonton or in California, then you go online and you find the Pipeline Show. And that 
really, I think, is what made it a, 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 a our own little thumbprint in in the hockey world. And was that hard? I mean, you you did the booking for guests um, for yep. for a long time. Uh, maybe talk about uh, challenges, if there were any. I'm sure there was in terms of booking guests and approaching. Uh, people from far and wide um, as a producer of a niche show that, uh, you know, is like you just said, it's a little bit small, it's a little bit different, and you're not uh, one of the main main attractions on the station uh, day in and day out because you're once a week, and and again, you're a niche show. Uh, Challenges producing uh, and booking guests and that sort of thing that that you came across? Absolutely. I I mean, the biggest... One of the biggest hurdles is my name. He, he, somebody gets an email from Flaming Guy, and uh, <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it doesn't trigger their spam filter and gets <laughs> filtered right into their junk folder, uh, they're probably deleting it themselves because if you've never heard of me, you're thinking that's a, a weird email that you're catfishing. afraid to click on. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I understand that. Um, and, God, if I could go back, 20 years before I got into media, maybe I would have created my own little pseudonym or something that was a little, little bit more more friendly than uh, than Guy Flaming. But um, yeah, so I mean, that that was a challenge. But you're right. Who, it's, if I call, and there was a team in the Ontario Hockey League that I called to get one of their players on the show, a high-profile player. I think it was the Kingston Frontenacs. I don't remember which player it was. But you know, and I said, we'd like to get your player on the show and talk to him kind of as a lead up to the to the draft. And I was told outright, what, what's in it for us? How does that benefit us? Why would, why would I free up my player to come and talk to an Edmonton radio station? So there was definitely that sort of mindset out there back then. I think the world has gotten a lot smaller uh, with uh, with social social media and the internet and just having been able to get a radio station anywhere in the world. Uh, but maybe back 20 years ago, it wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now. Um, but yeah, those were, it was definitely challenges sometimes uh, to, to get people on. And it would be great when we would get, I remember we, with the first time we had Red Berenson on the show, uh, who was coaching a, at the University of Michigan. Canadian guy, but he'd been in Michigan coaching for whatever, 30, 40, 50 years, however long it was. And he outright said, I can't believe I'm talking to two guys from Canada about college hockey. This is fantastic. And I remember we used to run that clip all the time because I thought that was really the key of what made our show special uh, is that we were doing something that nobody else did. And, uh, you know, there are lots of shows like it now, but I'm, I'm proud to say that I think we were, if not the first, one of the very first to be doing it. Yeah, especially, uh, well, yeah, bottom line, I was going to say in Canada, but for sure North America, I think it, yeah. because of uh, Canada maybe trumping, uh, you know, the states in that, in that aspect. Um, talk about, too, you know, again, I'll dive a little bit more into, into producing and, and booking guests. Sure. Um, you know, there's there's methods of what's the right way to contact this guy, what's the best channel to go through that guy, or... Um, do we, you know, there's been times where both you and I, you know, we'd have an opportunity to go right, uh, right to the player. You almost have to have a feel for every situation um, when trying to book a, a guest and what's the best way to get a hold of them because you never want to step on any toes and, and sever ties because you, you may not be able to get uh, someone from X team ever again. 
that's exactly it, Taylor. And uh, I'm sure we've both been in that situation before where we're trying to get player X from team Y and the proper route is to go to the, the, the media contact for team Y and ask for player X and let that guy or girl do his job or her job to line up that interview. But when you have a show and you have a deadline and you got a certain time, especially with a live show as we were doing that you need to hear back. And if you don't get an answer, then you start to panic. And I mean, there are times we, I had, uh, you know, I was trading messages with, with players and then I would want them to come on the show officially as a guest and go through the proper channels and not hear back. And I'd be like, I could just phone this guy directly myself, <laughs> but then you're potentially burning a bridge. So yeah, that, that, that definitely has come up several times and still does even with teams that I've dealt with for, for a long time um, and teams that I'm close to. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely an ongoing thing that uh, um, thankfully now after 16 years, I think uh, more and more people recognize the, my, not just my name, but the name of the show. So there's, uh, I think, a certain level of of uh, familiarity and, and trust that it's okay to give this little podcast, this little show, uh, access to players. And a lot of times, you know, I have to say, I to be able to record things, I'm doing it from my home studio. I don't have a radio station anymore. So it's, uh, it's about, uh, you know, I have to call the guest. So I'm going to need a number. You can give me whatever number you want. But, you know, I'm trust me i'm not going to call the player on a game day and you know i'm not sending them texts and stuff like that but there's a certain amount of trust that you have to earn yeah definitely and 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 relationships uh, evolve uh, over time as well with teams uh, for uh, for the better really it seems yeah um draft coverage obviously a big thing about the pipeline show is is covering the draft and and getting on uh, the draft eligible prospects uh, throughout the the season on the way you build your show uh, maybe talk about bring us back to kind of maybe that first draft show where you and Dean had uh, almost full reign essentially or uh, it was kind of like Sometimes it would be you two, and then we'd combine all the hosts at the station. Um, but can you remember maybe the, the first one um, in terms of draft coverage where you really got to sink your teeth in and it kind of felt like it was uh, your guys' yeah. Super Bowl? It, it's funny because the first draft show I was a part of at that station was before the Pipeline show began. I think it was the 2004 draft. I did it with, uh, with Bob Stoffer uh, from a restaurant in uh, downtown Edmonton that was a sponsor of his show. And it was the year that uh, the Oilers traded uh, Jason Chimera. And it, that trade happened early in the draft, and, and he was trying to figure out and, and contact people to find out uh, what the trade details were. And, and I had numbers for most of the scouting staff uh, for the Oilers at that point, uh, even before my show, because I was still doing the Hockey's Future stuff. So I actually got the details of the trade and we were able to break that on the air. And uh, I think from there, I, I got a little, uh, that was probably a nice little feather in my cap. And so then from then on, I became invited to not just partake in all of the drafts on that station, but that basically started to, the Pipeline Show was basically hosting the draft uh, coverage for Team 1260 and then TSN 1260. Uh, and because we were doing it all every show, all season long, when the draft rolled around, we knew those players inside and out. Uh, we knew everything about them. So 
our knowledge, I think you can really tell, Taylor, and I think you'd agree with me, that if you watch a game, a prospect game, and it's done by guys who only do the NHL, when they do a prospect game, you can tell, or a college game. You know, if the, sometimes with the Frozen Four, uh, John Butchgrass is, is terrific. He follows college hockey all the time. But you can tell when a guy isn't necessarily well-versed in the, the, the subject that he's covering. And I don't like making it up. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like faking it. And so when I, when I would hear draft coverage or I could listen to people trying to analyze the draft and talk about players that they didn't really know anything about, I think it stood out. So I, I think that made our draft coverage really good because we knew these players very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that, and those were always fun days, both those days, especially too yeah. when it's uh, you know, day two is a lot of fun as well because, like you said, you really got to sink your teeth into uh, the the ins and outs of of the prospects and the and the teams that they were going to. Uh, what did you, did you like day one better than day two, or vice versa? Well, there's more drama on day one, and day two moves so quickly. But what I guess what I liked about day one was the way that we did it. You know, the player would get drafted. You would always be on the other side of the glass from Dean and I. So you'd know who was getting drafted and you'd kind of wave at us and we'd be able to go to the, the TSN uh, TV and bring it in. So you'd hear the announcement at the podium. And then as soon as the pick is made, we would roll a clip from when that player was on our show. You know, we'd, we most often when a guy was on our show as a 17 or 18 year old player, we'd ask him for a self scouting report or something like mm-hmm. that, and he would give us a 30 second a snippet that we could run. So if you're watching the draft on TV, you get the analysis from the panel, and they they do a great job. I'm not taking anything away from them at all, but I like the fact that we could from the player immediately, and then we would Dean and I would or you would chime in if it was somebody that you knew really well mm-hmm. I, so I, I thought our draft coverage was fantastic to be honest with you and you know I, I don't like tooting my own horn but man I think I thought we I thought our draft show was second to none yeah and what I wanted to say too and add to to what your point was with rolling clips and everything and and I know Dean was really a, a big fan of 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 this is how well technically produced those shows were because we had a lot of sound bites, a lot of uh, stingers and this and that. And yeah. uh, we really got to use all our uh, bells and whistles and gadgets. That's for sure. How, you know, how key is it, you know, even on, on radio or a podcast to have those really good technical elements. I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they just turn on the mic and they, they record the podcast and it's great, but how much does it add to someone listening to uh, a piece of audio when you when you have all these little technical bells and whistles yeah i think it adds a lot and you know i for me it starts with uh, the intro to the show and i've always been a guy you know how, how particular i've been when it comes to creating the intro each season we change it up each year mm-hmm. uh, and uh you know the station used to give me sh- uh, heck i don't know if we're swearing or not <laughs> you can swear it's podcast land <laughs> uh, good well, the station used to give me shit for having a, a, a too long of an intro, and um, but I like it, man. I I, I want to grab the attention of the listener right away, and, and I think the intro should tell you what the show was all about. Uh, so I like to use clips. 
whether they're play-by-play clips or, hey, I'm Billy Bob from the Edmonton Oil Kings and, uh, and stuff like that, clips from the players. Um, I like it as an attention grabber. I like using stuff going out to a commercial break and uh, coming back from mm-hmm. a commercial break. We used to have so many elements to the show. I know it was, for you, I don't know if it was daunting at first because of all, <laughs> everything we were asking you to do, but I know anybody, if you happen to be sick and somebody would come in, how often it would get screwed up yeah. because it, I, I'm sure we asked a lot of uh, of our producers, but... Um, I mean, from your perspective, it might have been a pain in the ass, but didn't it sound good? Oh, it, yeah, absolutely, and it was it was fun, and you know, I I remember, and I think anyone we worked with at uh, at that radio station, the day we got the green light to use licensed music, <laughs> that was like hitting the jackpot because we could get creative <laughs> with those uh, those extras and intros, um, and uh, I guess let's stick on 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 technical elements quickly uh the theme and then you know getting the opportunity to use david wilcox laying pipe um <laughs> <laughs> what was that like when you first got to hear that on air with that uh, that song and legally being allowed to play that song yeah because it's just a loop i think we need to like take 10 seconds and just loop it um so we might it might last for a minute and a half but it's like a 10 second loop um and it, i don't know it to me, it was just perfect. It's a nice little simple and then the drums kick in and the bass and then it just goes. And uh, just because it's it's got the word pipe in it and our show is the pipeline show, it's it just seemed like a perfect little music bed. And we put the uh, the intro, the all the voiceover stuff uh, on top of that. It just seemed to work. And it became it became the theme song for the show. And that. You know, it didn't start like that, so that was probably what about year five, maybe season five, somewhere yeah, at least, in there. But, yeah, yeah. So we've kept it since then, though, and it's uh, it's still what I use today. Well, let's venture into uh, some of your other side duties that you've had uh, over the years, and uh, specifically doing some color commentary uh, at various levels, um, most sure. notably with the Edmonton Oil Kings over the the past few years. Um, but uh, you got your start to do color commentary to call a game uh, at the Viking Cup, which is a junior tournament held in Camrose, Alberta, uh, from years ago. It'd be nice if they could ever do that again. I think that's kind yeah. of evolved into the the World Junior A Challenge. Um, yeah. But uh, what was that experience like? You know, going to uh, that's funny. My first live broadcast actually was in Camrose too, doing color commentary yeah. for uh, for the Fort McMurray radio station for their Alberta Junior Hockey League team against the Kodiaks. Um, I never actually thought of that before. But enough about me. About you. What was that experience like? Two thousand six <laughs> Viking Cup color analyst. Yeah, it was it was thrilling. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if that was the first. I did some ACAC games as well. And uh, I did uh, a couple of seasons of color for the U of A Golden Bears, although I think that was after the Viking Cup and the ACAC stuff for sure. Um, But, you know, I I did two or three of the Viking Cup tournaments, and I remember one of them, uh, Tuka Rask was was a star of one of those tournaments uh, the one year for Finland. And I thought that was just so awesome to be able to, to see these guys that, you know, a lot of them I talked to on the radio, but remember there were the Oil Kings didn't exist then, mm-hmm. or they hadn't come back. At, so there was only the AJHL in the immediate area, 
uh, for uh, for the guests that I was getting that we were getting on the pipeline show. And uh, so that, that was really cool to see. And, you know, some of the guys I worked with back then, I'm pretty sure John Short did some of the the uh, the radio work around those games. Uh, who was the, uh, the the radio broadcaster for for the Trappers for so long? What was his name? Oh, Al Do you remember Coates. his name? Al Coates. He, he did one of the tournaments. And, uh, boy, that was really interesting because he is a great baseball broadcaster. The, his pace and the pace of baseball just goes so well together. Uh, it was a real different experience to have him do hockey, <laughs> but it was it was fun at the same time. Um, but obviously, it wasn't uh, you know his his bread and butter. I don't think he knew the players very much at all. Uh, but uh, a very he's a talented broadcaster, obviously. Uh, and then I did a bunch of games with uh, a young fellow named Dustin Nelson, who um, I actually did a few games uh, with the uh, Concordia Thunder, I believe it was in the ACAC, and. Uh, then he was doing some stuff for the Viking Cup, and, and we did a, a whole tournament together there where we did a, a triple overtime game between Switzerland and the Czech Republic, I believe. And, uh, I mean, that was – it's unbelievable to, to have to call six-and-a-half periods of hockey for players you really don't know a whole <laughs> lot about, but you're just flying off the seat of your pants. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. It was great. It's, it's such a – it's such a wonderful experience. Talking about having to memorize names and especially foreign <laughs> names, what works for you in, in in terms of a remembering them and then pronouncing them? It's funny because it's probably easier now because some of the Finnish names, I think the Finnish names might be the hardest ones, um, but because when you see them written out. I mean, there's how do you pronounce so many V's and I's and like that all within the same name? It, it can be a challenge, definitely. I think you really have to break it down phonetically and uh, and just practice. But a lot of those names that might have been really unfamiliar 20 years ago, I think maybe we hear them a lot more now because of the way hockey has expanded so much and uh, it's become such a global sport that maybe they're not quite as foreign sounding now. Uh, when we have to say them, but yeah, there are definitely some challenges with the with the uh, European names. Um, but uh, as well, some of the the North American names, like I mentioned, Andrew Cogliano. There's a lot of people who would say it's Cogliano. For me, it was always ask the player. Uh, so when I when I talk to a player who has a a name that we're not sure how to pronounce, I ask them, "How do you say your name? How does your mom say your name?" Because that's that's what I want to go with. Um, so really for me, that's how you get down to it is, is I, I, I am kind of particular. I hate butchering names. Um, so I, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really simplicity is the key. And just like you said, if you have an opportunity to ask that person, you go out, yeah. go out and say it. Uh, so, co- uh, getting the opportunity to do color for the university, of Alberta, golden bears, uh, most dominant ice hockey program men's ice hockey program in uh, in Canada, in the university system. Um, you got to see him win a title as well. Quickly uh, sum up that experience uh, covering games at, uh, at Claire Drake. That's a great barn, isn't it? And when you have a, a rival that comes in, whether it's Calgary or Saskatchewan, and it's full to the rafters, it's uh, it's a it's a great little atmosphere, and uh, the broadcast position is terrific. Obviously, when I was there, I was doing uh, color for Bob Stoffer and 
you know, at that point he was, he, uh, he had been such a, a force uh, and presence around the university of Alberta in that program that, uh, you know, he was, he was the big wheel for sure. Um, getting to go into the coaches rooms before and after games and, and kind of pick their brain, whether it was Rob Dom or, or, uh, you know, even um, Serge Lajoie, who was an assistant there for a long time, you know, pre-games, I would go and sit with him and he'd run me through the line combinations and things like that. And then 15 years later, he's the head coach of the, uh, the Camus Blazers. And we've had that, you know, sort of that connection, that past relationship that, it really just moves forward and continues on. And it's, uh, it's those relationships that you forge early on in your career that, that come back and you can rely on and count on and, and revisit uh, as your career goes on. They're really invaluable experiences for sure. All right, let's move to the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League. So getting an opportunity to uh, color full-time for them. You had filled in for Kent Simpson, who was with Corey Graham, uh, a couple times uh, in the past, but you got to be full-time. It was a 2013-14 season, correct? That's right, yes. And, you know, I, I probably filled in for one or two games pretty much every year um, since they came back in 2000 and, what was it, 2007, uh, mm-hmm. when the All-Kings uh, first arrived. Um, A.J. Jackiebeck was doing all the games then, but there were probably there was probably at least one game a year where I was able to fill in for Kent. Um but that season, the 2014 season, uh, Kent moved. He and his family were moving to Kelowna, uh, and I know they had had uh, there was a, a an incident that uh, he needed to step away and take some some personal time for. Uh, so I was able to fill in, and uh, man, what a that was just an amazing thrill. Obviously, the team went on to win the Memorial Cup, and it was such an exciting ride, but. You know, it was a great team to be around. Some some players who have gone on to the NHL now, Curtis Lazar, Tristan Jari, guys like that, uh, as well as a number of other really awesome players. The, and it was it was really it was so fun to be sort of on the inside a little bit, whereas I've never had that experience before, where you get to travel with the team on the bus. Um, and I only got that once the team reached the uh, the finals of uh, the WHL championship and then off to the Memorial Cup in London, Ontario. But to be around the team that closely was a lot of fun. And I, I you know, I was really jealous of uh, everybody who's had that experience before or since. The guys like Corey Graham, who would get to travel with the team on the bus during the regular season, uh, how thrilling that must have been. But and it was it was awesome to have that experience for sure. One of my favorite seasons. What makes a good color analyst? I think it's different for for a guy who was a former player, which I am not. But like, if if you listen to an NHL broadcast, I mean, Ray Ferraro has got to be. If he's not the best, he's got to be in everybody's top three mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to being a color guy because he's got the experience. So he has the past stories that he can bring forward. He also obviously understands the game better than than most people do and he's able to translate that and explain it to people who are casual fans i think that's a gift and i don't think many people can do it as as effectively in all three of those sort of departments as as what ray can do i'm not a former player so i can't do that i think i'm okay at being able to pick apart what's happening on the ice but not to the extent of what a former player could do um because i don't i've never been in dressing rooms at that level 
where coaches is bra- are breaking down systems and things. So I don't have that sort of mentality. So the way I come at it, and, and I think what my strengths as a color guy are, are getting the, the stories, the personal tidbits. Uh, I have background on the players. So when the play-by-play guy needs to take a breath from describing the play, I'm able to jump in and maybe talk about something that happened with one of the players on the last play. Uh, certainly, you can't just, well, this guy had uh, 20 goals last year and, and go and expect that that's enough. You have to analyze the play a little bit and read the the emotion and the feel of what's happening in the game. Um, and I, I think I do okay with that as well. But um, yeah, I, I would say providing information and some and background and some context is, is probably my own strengths when it comes to being a color guy. Did you start out like that when you know back in the the ACAC Viking Cup days and even with I'm sure Bob probably gave you a lot of uh, advice uh, working at the U of A. Yeah, I, I think I did actually. It was I always felt it was my job to have to bring something other than just describing what's happening in the game because to me that's the play-by-play guy's job. Uh, it's his job to describe what's happening. I'm supposed to literally add color uh, to what they're saying. And I, so I think if if I'm going to say something different, then maybe it's some interesting tidbits that I've uh, been able to jot down. Uh, that I can mention, you know, whether a guy is on a scoring streak or something like that, or, you know, if, uh, if a player was drafted and went to an NHL camp, you know, mention things like that. They, they don't always have to be, you know, uh, uh, breaking. It's, I'm not uh, trying to uh, provide uh, big scoops or anything like that, but it's just interesting things that are about the player outside of what's happening in the immediate moment. And and you got to see a lot of good players as well, especially covering uh, the Western Hockey League. Uh, what's it like yeah. for you, not only, and we'll kind of go back into a host mode and, and pipeline show right now. What's it like for you to talk to a guy, see a guy develop through the years and now um, is at uh, a higher level? It, it doesn't have to be a player. It can even just be, like you mentioned, Serge Lajoie. You've seen his journey uh, and now he's in uh, Kamloops coaching the Blazers of the Western Hockey League. Touch on that and, and seeing people grow and you being a little bit part of that uh, that journey in a sense. It's awesome. When when it's a player, uh, it makes me feel old because, you know, <laughs> a, a perfect example is Kyle Brodziak. Here's the guy that I knew as a, a Moose Jaw warrior who was trying out and didn't make Team Canada uh, as, as for the World Juniors. And now he's retired as an NHL player. And not because, you know, his – his career was cut short. He played for what, 14 years or something. Um, so a guy that's got his entire career uh, from when I started, uh, who, who's now done, it makes me feel old, but you know, it, it's great. I think to see whether they're uh, broadcasters, uh, there's uh, the, the fellow who is uh, going to be the voice of the Seattle Kraken. He was on my, he was on our show as the, Young phantoms in the ushl then he went to the echl then the american league and now he's in the nhl so it's it's stories like that media guys that we've we've had uh john rosen was the voice of the everett silvertips when when he first was on our show and now he's you know a, a big guy with the covering the la kings of the nhl um i i think those are great to to see uh, people advance their careers like that um maybe a little jealous that, Hey, it didn't happen for us, but <laughs> not yet. Uh, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, not yet. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think it's wonderful. It's awesome. And you've been able to, you know, I really marveled at um, both you and Dean and the amount of uh, contacts you had, the people you were able to speak to. Um, touch on what it's like to have those insiders in your back pocket and 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 getting leads sometimes, getting some uh, tidbits of information and, and being able, obviously, to channel that information and respect uh, your insider, per se, um, yeah. you know, how, how does someone maybe that's building up their contact list of, of, of people like this, how do they, uh, toe that line of balancing sense of informa- information, but also using it to be, um, someone that, uh, you know, is be- trying to become popular amongst their, their circle of covering whatever league they're in or whatever sport. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to trust again. If, if you are, trying to dig for information and you find somebody who actually shares information with you, you don't burn that, uh, that, that contact because you'll never get anything from them again. Um, so when I would reach out, whether it was to uh, say it's a coach, if somebody, if a coach is confident enough to give me sensitive information or something like that, um, maybe it's a player injury or something, but they want it kind of off the record. You never burn that. Uh, because you will never get that information again. You'll never have that trust of that individual ever again. And um, so, I mean, you, you you can take the information and go at it a, a different way. Say, say it is a, a player injury. A guy is out with a um, some sort of undisclosed injury. You know it's a broken leg, and you know he's going to be gone for eight weeks. You can say it looked to me like in, in the last game he was favoring a lower body injury. It didn't look good to me. Uh, my sense is that I think it could be a longer-term injury than than we're hearing. You know, something like that. You know in your head that it's he, the guy's going to be out eight weeks, but because somebody off the record told you off the record, you're not going to say, well, the, I have it from a team source that this guy is out for eight weeks because you'll never get anything from that team again. Um, so... You, you just really have to, to play it smart. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it, that's with a, with a team or other media guys uh, or players themselves, um, if, if you want to be able to, you have to earn the reputation that you're, you're trustworthy. Um, and uh, that's something I've always been cognizant of mm-hmm. and uh, really careful with, with uh, the way I conduct myself. Or you always would spin it. And ask me the question, thinking uh, just because of the last name medic, we could make myself uh, the resident uh, <laughs> resident doctor and say, well, what, "Yeah, what kind of injury would that uh, result in?" I remember when Connor McDavid <laughs> broke his hand on the dasher fighting. Uh, I don't know who he fought when he was with the Erie, but that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking up, uh, <laughs> you know, how long the injury could be. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were pretty obvious that we were joking with mm-hmm. that whole situation. And yet, didn't we also get in a little shit for that from the station too? Is that well? I mean, don't call Taylor the sports yeah. doctor. People will get confused that he's actually a medical doctor and wonder why he's on our show. Perception <laughs> is reality, I guess. Um, yeah. Inter- interviewing, you know, specifically with hockey prospects, and you're interviewing young kids. Some of them, it might have been their first interview. I think nowadays, yeah. not so much. Kids are that are. Uh, high-profile hockey players per se, you know, they're getting interviewed around draft time for their respective oh, yeah. junior leagues, but 
back then, um, kids that were going into the NHL draft may had never uh, have been interviewed. Um, just touch on <laughs> maybe some some of the times it was pretty hard to extract answers uh, from guests because a they they didn't know how to be interviewed uh, and two weren't giving you much. How painful was that at times? And then how do you uh, as the interviewee extract more information from uh, from your guest? It's funny because you know one of the first examples I can think of is Steven Stamkos when he was on our show in his draft year, and it was early in his draft year. I remember the top prospect was here in Edmonton that season, but that's like in January. We had him on early in the year, and he, at the time he said it was one of his first his first interviews, and that doesn't happen anymore. A guy that high profile, he's getting interviewed as a 16-year-old, if not 15 now. Um, but the fact that Steven Stamkos gave the Pipeline Show one of his first interviews, fantastic. Um, but you're right. It's it sometimes it can be really hit or miss uh, because I'm talking to a player who's 17 years old. He might be a, a third round pick, but he, he might have done a paper for the local high or a, a, an interview for the local high school newspaper or something, but never on the radio or uh, on TV or anything like that. So I'll get a guy. I can almost hear his teeth chattering because he's nervous and you know, it, when it was live radio, it was a little different. Now I'm able to tell him, listen, we're not live. Just relax, calm down. It's just you and me having a conversation. Everything's cool. And that seems to settle guys down. But, yeah, sometimes they're really shy, really short answer because they're not used to doing it. Other times there are guys, it's it's they're so mature. I might be thinking uh, I'm talking to his father or something. Um, and those, those interviews always stand out to me, too. But... Um, the, the discrepancy is, is really entertaining and you don't really know what you're going to get until you start talking to the guy either. So um, it's pretty cool. I remember the first North American interview Anji Kopitar ever did was with me. It was for uh, ISS, the International Scouting Service, and it eventually got picked up by the Hockey News. But I got to do the first ever interview with Anji Kopitar uh, in North America. I did it. He was still in Slovenia at the time and I had called him uh, and uh I recorded it at the time. This is before digital recorders and being able to record Skype or whatever. I actually had my handheld mini cassette tape recorder <laughs> on a speakerphone <laughs> and transcribed it from that. That's that's how I had to do the interview back in whatever year that was, 2004, um, something like that. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, – I still love interviewing the players. I think it's still the highlight of, uh, of the show is getting to talk to these guys before – a lot of them before their household names. And speaking of talking to guests and, and players, I always thought the best shows were uh, the live in-studio during the yeah. summer when we had players come in. Talk about how much better it is and more f- fun it is to talk to someone face-to-face – right in there uh live in the studio versus uh over the phone i mean obviously now in our current uh, climate in the world uh, it is hard to get that face-to-face contact but man those were fun when we would bring in a couple guys uh that uh, a knew each other or were from you know that somehow had a connection because that loosened everyone up um as well but just just touch on you know doing those in-studio live interviews 
it, it was always great to, and exactly that was get guys who might have some familiarity with each other, maybe a little history, maybe they're maybe teammates or they played together along the way at some point. Um, you know, obviously we'd have to rely basically on guys from the Edmonton area uh, to come in and join us in studio. But if you could get guys who were teammates from the time they were eight until they were 15 and now they're playing against each other in the WHL, great stories. Uh, so those were always terrific. I loved getting uh, scouts in NHL scouts in. Uh, and then that quickly got shut down by uh, most NHL teams <laughs> because the scouts were giving us a little too much insight. Um, but the, I mean, those were fantastic uh, conversations to have. You get the guys in for an hour and uh, just shoot the shit and, and talk about whatever. Uh, and sometimes those, uh, yeah, for me, those were the highlights too. And we always did those in the summer, which was great time ki- or t- filler as well, because no games to talk about. So what are you going to do in August? Let's get guys in the studio. And it always worked out really well. Those were great. They certainly were. Um, now progressing through the, the your Pipeline show, uh, you're now off the radio. It's been a couple years now. Uh, coming up, well, it would have been five years in December. Yeah. Um, so after the 12th season, change was made. You're off TSN 1260. Uh, you go into uh, the internet land full-time. And uh, and it goes into full time podcast mode. Uh, I what I want to ask is if you hadn't had that experience of just the years that you had prior to having to to go um, strictly to an online based platform um, because you, you were really involved in uh, in putting the show up online. You had a lot of or a lot of listeners from afar. Um, yep. and, and it was more, you had more traffic to your website versus listenership because more people from abroad wanted to hear the show. Would you have been able to do that if you didn't have that experience and that following, um, that you had while you were on air on the AM frequency and you did have that internet platform as well? Uh, my, my sense is probably not. Uh, and I, you know, it, it would be, I think it would be really hard to just start a show now with with not having uh, any sort of name recognition or, you know, I think that the pipeline show carries a certain brand to it now. And I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, it's not Monday night football or anything, but you know, in hockey prospect circles, I think people have heard of the show. I would like to think that if they get an email from flaming guy, they're not immediately throwing it in the, in the, uh, the junk folder anymore. Um, I know, you know, with enough contacts around junior college hockey, I would like to think I'd be able to do it if I had to start just now. But I think in in real um, realistically, I don't know if it would be possible, uh, at least not to the extent that I'm still able to get guests from all over the hockey world. I mean, I talk to I get players from I had Oscar Olison on last week from Sweden because I know his agent who is in Sweden. Uh, because I've dealt with the agent for three or four years now. Uh, those types of things I don't think are available just to anybody. Uh, you have to put in the time, and, the, and that only comes over years of, uh, of experience in doing it. The technical side of it, I still struggle with, because I didn't go to broadcast school. And, you know, you were our producer at the station. I didn't do any of that stuff at the station. So that's – I've been learning since uh, – since the show became a hundred percent podcast, 
that's been the biggest challenge for me is how to make the show sound as good as it did on the radio. And that's still stuff that I, uh, is evolving. It's an evolving process for me. But uh, to answer your question, I know long, long-winded answer to it, uh, but I don't know if I could have. I would have liked to have still tried, but I don't know if I'd have uh, the amount of success I'm having right now if, I, if not for the, the 12 years on radio. And you've had to be a salesman as well. Uh, talk yeah. about, uh, you know, bottom line, it's a grind, but just maybe talk about yeah. what's allowed you some, maybe some keys to success, what's allowed you to, to maintain a little bit of uh, revenue coming in and, and, and generating uh, stuff for clients and, and keeping successful relationships going amidst this, uh, this stretch of, uh, of being away from radio but still having you know, the podcast. Yeah, I'll be honest. That's the part of it that's the shittiest is is having to ask and, and you know you're 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 hitting up friends to see if uh, their businesses might be able to throw you some bucks for sponsorship and stuff. Uh, I I hate it. Uh, I don't like being the the sales part of it. Um, you know, thankfully there are platforms out now. Like I use Patreon a lot now, and and listeners to the show. It's completely um voluntary but if if somebody likes what you do and they think there's value to it there's an opportunity for them to throw a couple of bucks literally two bucks uh, a month your way and stuff like that it's i mean it's very small for the the listener but it adds up and it's it's really the thing over this pandemic that's kept the lights on here so um because sponsorship has been way down as Business of, businesses have really struggled. Uh, they don't have a lot of extra money to be advertising. So it's um, it's really that sort of thing that's uh, that's uh, kept the show going here in the last little bit. But, you know, as, as things start to improve, hopefully we get back to a little bit more normalcy and, and the advertising will, will start happening uh, much more again. But, yeah, the sales stuff, I, I wish it wasn't a fact of life, but you got to pay bills. And is it just, you know, you said, said it's hard, but when you do approach someone, is it just simply, you just got to, it's like a Band-Aid, just take it off, just ask if it's yes or no, it, you know, whatever the answer is, you just got to ask. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, you can tiptoe around it, but eventually you got to ask the question. But, you know, you ask somebody, do they, does their business have with their advertising? Would they be interested in something that, listen, podcasts, there is no a great expense to, to podcasting um, certainly a lot less than radio. So what I had to charge for radio advertising is a lot more than what I charge for, for podcasting these days uh, for advertising these days. Um, so it, you just see if there's uh, a fit. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's have some fun here. That's the, the, the part of the show where I like to do a little bit of a flash round and ask 10 questions uh, to my guest. And Guy, you can give me one word answer or a short anecdote. Okay. We want to go kind of fast with these, but if you, if you got to think for a second, um, you have to, you can, you know, you can take your time. Um, okay. I'm, I, I'm switching the questions up just a bit from the last episode where I asked Bryn Griffiths uh, a little a more broader questions, but this will be a little bit hockey specific. So, um, okay. number one, favorite league to cover? WHL. Number two, what was uh, or what has been your favorite team uh, to call or cover? Uh, the 2014 uh, Oil Kings uh, going off to win the Memorial Cup. That, that was that was outstanding. Favorite player to call? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Favorite player? 
Um, Trey Fix Holansky was a lot of fun as an Edmonton Oil King. Uh, I, I guess that's the first one that comes to mind, so I'll go there. And it's a sub question. I know we joked about this before we started recording. Your most favorite interview ever? <laughs> um, some of the ones that stand out were the the ones that were, you know, not great interviews for whatever reason. I mean, we had Robert Nelson on the show one year, and he was eating ribs. Uh, while he was talking to us on the air and you could hear him like smacking his lips and putting the bones down on his plate. Um, so moments like that kind of stand out. Uh, I think Rob Shrimp joined us from a bowling alley. And so every once in a while, it'd be like, hang on a sec, I got to throw a ball. Um, so things like that kind of stand out. What was uh, number four best team to be around, whether it was uh, covering or calling or just having to uh, to get a scoop on? Uh, well, I mean, I, I keep going back to the Oil Kings, mm-hmm. but that's the team that I'm around the most, um, and especially when it comes to scoops and things like that. I mean, the U of A Golden Bears, I did a couple of years there, and that was that was fun, but you're not really – that's not the type of environment where trades aren't happening and things like that. So I guess I would go back to the Oil Kings again. Favorite venue slash city you had to travel to uh, to cover – uh, hockey-related event? Uh, Helsinki. <laughs> that was the best one for me, was was getting to, to go over for the 2016 World Junior Championship uh, and spent the entire tournament there in 2016 and uh, with Finland winning the gold medal at home in overtime over an arch-rival like Russia. It was in the Memorial Cup in 2014 in London, Ontario. Those, those were the two highlight uh, events to, to go to. Uh, and I really enjoyed the, the uh, Frozen Four in 2011 in St. Paul, which uh, you were also at. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good one as well. I thought you were going to say the USHL All Star Game, uh, the one where you had to fly <laughs> to six different cities. Yeah, I flew. Well, that was a bit of a milk run. I, I I think I flew from Minneapolis to Chicago, and then I had to rent a car from Chicago, drive around Lake Superior uh, or Lake Michigan, whichever uh, Superior, I think, and then up to uh, Muskegon. Michigan for the uh, USHL All-Star Games. Yeah, that was fun, too. Best advice you've ever received in terms of broadcasting? Uh, be yourself. Be honest. Don't try to... Don't don't fake it. That, that would be the, the advice I got and the advice I would give, too. That if you don't know the answer, don't make it up as you go because your audience will know that you're, you are faking it. Uh, and then you lose all credibility. One sport you've wanted to call or cover but you haven't? Um, well, I guess it would still be hockey, but I'd, I'd like to get down and be able to, to cover college hockey more in, in person. I, it's, I, I love college hockey. I think it's fantastic, but it's so damn far away. Um, you know, I, got, I got, had the opportunity. Dave Haxall invited me to go to North Dakota and do the show from there one weekend, and I, I took that opportunity and uh, it was fantastic to, to get and go do the show from Ralph Engelstad Arena. I know it's not a different sport, but if I could do it from more often uh, and get south of the border, I would. What's been your favorite job in uh, in this journey that uh, you've been in sports broadcasting? Uh, it can, you know, I think you might just, I know the answer, but what's been your favorite job specifically in media and broadcasting? Well, hosting my show. I get to create my own show and, and do whatever I want. Be your own boss. There's You can't really beat that. I mean, I've loved doing the color stuff, 
but even that has rules that you got to follow. Um, my show now, especially as a podcast, I can do whatever the hell I want. I can talk to a guest for 45 minutes if I want to. No commercial breaks, no brains. Can't beat that. Favorite broadcaster, two-part question, active and all-time. Oh, uh, well, my, my favorite play-by-play guy as a kid growing up was Danny Gallivan. Um, I, I go back to the Canada Cup in 87. He was calling that game. Um, the ones I like now, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Pete Labardius. Uh, I like, uh, I really like Sam Cosentino. Um, I, I'm a, a Cam Moon now with the Oilers. He's my favorite guy in the WHL. There's lots of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really could almost do a, a whole episode of favorite broadcasters <laughs> from yeah. the WHL. Uh, last question of the flash round. Who should go behind the mic with Taylor Medic? Who do you think should be on this show with me? Uh, Corey Graham. Corey uh, Graham, yeah. Corey Graham. He would have lots of great stories for you. Well, and a few that we would share because we had uh, some good times working the night show, and it was always a pleasure Absolutely. working with uh, Corey at, yeah. uh, at Team 1260 and TSN 1260 and former voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings. All right, Guy, I'm going to let you go. Uh, before I do, um, just tell everyone uh, where they can find your stuff right now. What are you up to in terms of media and sports broadcasting right now? Obviously, you got the Pipeline show rolling on. Where can people find that? iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast from, and thepipelineshow.com, and uh, the show continues on once a week. It usually comes out on Fridays. Sometimes it gets carried over to a Saturday release, uh, but uh, still still what we always did. Uh, we're talking to uh, the, the next wave of players getting to the NHL, uh, and coaches and scouts and media, all of that stuff. Uh, so still doing what I always wanted to do. Well, Guy, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was great to connect on this one. We'll have to have you again down the road to uh, dive into a little more uh, uh, specific topics because uh, you got a great wealth of knowledge and we can really dive in uh, on a lot of uh, specifics, especially when it comes to hosting and producing uh, your own show. So thank you again. Awesome. Thanks, Taylor. I really appreciate the call. Well, what a fantastic conversation that was with Guy Flaming of The Pipeline Show. Thepipelineshow.com is the website and you can down the, download The Pipeline Show on uh, on the uh, Apple Podcast platform. Uh, that's uh, probably the easiest way to get uh, Guy's content as well. Pretty easy way too is going to his site and using uh, Patreon for exclusive content. So that's a really neat thing too that he does. Um, that uh, definitely, if you're a fan of the world of uh, hockey and then wanting to uh, know who's coming up in uh, someone's organization or the NHL entry draft, that uh, all those fine things, all those areas, uh, Guy has access to all of uh, those fine things, uh, including interviews with uh, players, teams, scouts, GMs, reporters, you name it. Uh, he talks to everyone. And that uh, uh, that's a great uh, a great show. Really fantastic if if you really love hockey and want to get some insight uh, into the game uh, during uh, during the course of the year, especially when uh, when he talks to uh, uh, not only players but coaches as well. Well, that's going to do it uh, for another episode of Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. Another guest next episode. We'll be diving in to the world of sports broadcasting 
I look forward to uh, bringing you another conversation uh, in that time. We'll see you soon.